world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you're reading in the um, Bibles underneath your chair, it's on page 814. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the reading of God's word. You guys can go ahead and uh, be seated this morning. Well, as you, uh, you see, what we're going to do this morning and what we're going to do next week is we're going to uh, pump the brakes on our study in Paul's letter to Titus. What we're going to do is actually turn our attention to a two-part sermon series, one starting today and then one that will finish next week. Um, it's going to be a sermon series we call The Heart of Making Disciples. Um, so this morning, as you heard, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to focus our attention on verses 35 through 38 um, as we look at two necessary parts of what it means to go and make disciples. Uh, in these verses here, Matthew is going to highlight for us um, that at the heart of making disciples, one avenue, one aspect is this idea of compassion, having a heart that is genuinely burdened and broken for the lost who are around us. But then there's also this other aspect of prayer as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pause, we're going to pray, and then we're going to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 9 and study these verses. So why don't you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your word the way that your word points us to Christ continually. Jesus Christ is at the center of the scriptures. God, you are the one who calls us to come and learn more about you. And so here we are this morning, Father, with our hands open wide and our hearts laid bare before you. And we're just saying, God, we need you to speak this morning so that we can better understand what does it mean for us to make disciples. What does it mean for us to see people who are spiritually dead move to spiritual life? How do you use us to bring about this change in people? God, we need to know this. We need to be reminded of these things. And so my prayer is that you, Holy Spirit, would come and demonstrate the power of God this morning through the preaching of his word. God, help us to see Christ glorified this morning. It's in Jesus' name name we pray. Amen. Well, war and military strategy, if you've ever just thought about these things, read books about these things, maybe you've watched movies and just caught little snippets of how um, war and the strategy behind war comes about, you will recognize very quickly that it is a very complex subject. But if you wanted to just narrow it down and make this whole complex thing of war and military strategy very, very simple, you could, you could narrow it down to two simple parts where on one hand you have the war itself 
And on the other hand, you have the necessary preparation that soldiers must go through in order to prepare for the war. Um, Some of you guys know this about me, but I love World War II history. And one of the things I love about World War II history is an event that specifically took place on June 6, 1944, the D-Day invasion, as the um, armed forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. That was a phenomenal feat of military strategy. Uh, But for the men involved, this one-day event that took place on June 6, 1944, that one-day event was actually the culmination of years of planning. So what didn't happen was the military strategist somewhere said, hey, we've got this crazy idea. Like, why don't we actually put a bunch of people together, storm the beaches of France, but absolutely do no training for these people? We're just going to sort of just pick a day at random, we're just going to go for it, and just hopefully a bunch of guys will show up, and we'll just sort of throw them into the mix and make sure it happens. You you actually don't see that. Um, If you've seen the um, series called The Band of Brothers, you actually find that there's certain men who had even begun training for this as early as 1942, so they gave themselves to almost two years of just day in and day out training, preparation, training, preparation for essentially what was become down to a one-day mission. And the reason was because the military commanders and the strategists, they understood the enormity of the mission. They had a grasp on the importance of the mission. And so they saw that preparation and training was absolutely necessary if that mission was going to come off and be successful. So they gave themselves, giving everything they could for these men so they'd not only know what was coming for them on that coming day, but so they'd also know what to do in that moment so that they could actually execute the mission that had been given to them. Well, when we turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, what we find is Jesus, King Jesus, is doing something that is very, very similar. Matthew's gospel, in essence, is a gospel that proclaims to us and lays out for us the mission of Jesus. And when you go all the way to the end of Matthew's gospel, what we find recorded for us are probably some of the most famous words of Jesus. If you ever talk about international missions, if you ever talk about this idea of being sent out by Jesus, you eventually find yourself reading the last couple of verses at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Whereas Jesus is about ready to ascend back into heaven, he gives these parting words. He delivers his great mission to his disciples, and he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because this is true, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, here it is, go, disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing these people in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So you work through 28 chapters of Matthew's gospel. You come to the very end, and these are the parting words on the lips of King Jesus. Jesus issues what we call his great commission. And it's an all-out declaration that I am the one who have all authority. Authority in heaven, authority on earth, it has been given to me. 
So that once Jesus leaves, his disciples are to continue this mission. The mission of Christ doesn't just stop with King Jesus. In the three years that he was actively ministering to people around him, the mission of Jesus is to be carried out further by the disciples who would come after them and the disciples who would come after them and on and on and on down to us today here this morning in this building. His disciples are to continue the mission of Jesus as they rest on his authority to do so. But before Jesus calls his disciples to mission in the very last verses at the very end of the very last chapter, notice that Jesus has given himself over to, in essence, 27 chapters of preparation. So over and again, Jesus is continuing to show his disciples, these are things that you need to know so that you will be prepared and trained to go and carry out the mission of Jesus. Going into the nations, going into your neighborhood, going into your places of work, making disciples, teaching true things about Jesus, calling people to come and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you zip back to the beginning of the gospel, what you see is that this idea of authority and how Jesus is preparing them. Because remember, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to know this is true about me. Because when you go out, you're not going to rest on your own power as a disciple who is to go and make disciples. You're going to rest on my authority. So you go back and you find this thread is weaving its way all throughout the gospels. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, what you find is that Jesus is preparing his disciples with the authority of his teaching. You go into chapter 8, Jesus is preparing his disciples again with his authority. Jesus has the authority to heal the sick. Jesus has the authority over creation. He's the one who speaks and calms the stormy sea. He has authority over the spiritual realm. Jesus is actually speaking into the spiritual realm, causing spiritual beings, demons, to leave people. He speaks, and they listen. You then roll into chapter 9. Jesus is further preparing his disciples. This time, he is preparing his disciples by laying out that he has the authority to forgive sin. And so over again, we find Jesus preparing his disciples for the mission to come. And so as you begin to work your way through Matthew's gospel, it's preparation. Here's what you need to know. Here's training. Here's what you need to know. And as you work your way through Chapter 9, and you come and you funnel and narrow down to verse 35, what you come to is at this stage in the game, Matthew hits pause in his gospel. He says, let me just summarize for you the kind of things that Jesus has been doing, the kind of training and preparation he's been giving himself over to. And so you can look in your Bible, and what you find there in verse 35, Matthew says this, and here is a one-sentence summary of what Jesus has been about as he has been training and preparing his disciples. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, and he's been doing three things. He's been teaching in their synagogues. He's been proclaiming the gospel, that word gospel just simply means good news. So he's been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he's been healing every disease and every affliction. So again, this verse is just simply a summary of Christ's mission. Jesus knows that the world needs to hear the good news of his kingdom. This is what he is about. 
He's about his mission, making sure that those who need to know Christ actually do hear about Christ and the good news of his kingdom. Jesus knows that they need to hear that he has authority to forgive sin. He actually has authority to heal the sick. He has authority over disease, over natural disasters, even over death itself. And they must hear this good news in order to be saved. So Jesus is giving himself wholeheartedly over to these things. But before he releases his disciples to go and make more disciples, he pauses long enough to give further preparation by showing what we are calling, which is the very heart of making disciples. So they need to know that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. That is a necessary preparation in order for these followers of Jesus to go out and be used by God to make more followers of Jesus. But that's not the only thing they need to know. There's at least two other things that they need to know. And that's what we see as we turn and round the corner into verse 36. The first truth we see is that at the heart of making disciples is a heart that is broken for those who are far from God. At the heart of making disciples is this, it's true, recognizing that as I go out, I don't have the power to communicate in a certain way. Authority doesn't rest in me in getting other people to repent and turn and come to Jesus. That's not my power, it's not authority in me, it's in Jesus, so I'm resting in that. But as I go out, resting in the authority of Christ, who has authority in heaven and on earth, I'm also to go out, though, as one whose heart has been genuinely burdened with the lost who are around me. At the heart of making disciples is a heart that is broken for those that are far from God. It's a heart that breaks for the lost because it understands the true condition of the lost. The key word here when you look at verse 36, the key word is compassion. And this is what Matthew highlights by pointing to Jesus' compassion for those who are in genuine need of him. Again, look at verse 36. Matthew highlights three things that were true about Jesus. The king who has authority in heaven and on earth. In his earthly ministry, Jesus was marked in this way. As he was going throughout all the cities and villages, he saw the crowds. But not only did he see the crowds, he had compassion for them. And the question I have is why? Why does Jesus see the crowds and then have compassion for them? Because this reason, because these crowds, these people, these men, these women... These children, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So to understand what compelled the compassion of Jesus, Matthew just highlights these three different truths that defined the way Jesus lived. So the first thing we see is this, that Jesus actually saw the crowds that were around him. Jesus had a people alertness when he went about to and fro in his days, walking about, eating, sleeping, talking, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease, every affliction. He didn't go around seeing people as a nuisance to avoid. 
He didn't go walking around as some navel gazer who was consumed with me, myself, and I. As he traveled around, he was just aware of others, and he made a point to notice them, and he made a point to simply interact with them. He actually saw people for what they were. They were men and women created in the image of God. Again, not some nuisance to be avoided, not some means to his end. He didn't see people as, hey, you exist to serve me. You exist to make sure my life is great. He actually saw the reverse because they were men and women created in the image of God. He understood that the call for his life was to go and be a self-sacrifice for their good. Jesus saw the crowds, but he also realized their separation. This is the second truth which compelled the compassion of Jesus. Jesus saw the crowds. He understood who was around him. He had a people alertness, but not only did he see the crowds, but he also realized their separation. Jesus had a grasp on their true spiritual condition. See, when Jesus saw the crowds... He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were running after the pleasures and pursuits of this world, thinking that they could be satisfied somehow apart from God. But instead of finding satisfaction in the offerings of the world, they actually were finding emptiness. Sin was harassing them. They were helpless because of sin. They were aimless, adrift. They didn't know where they were going, their purpose in life, all these sorts of things. They were like sheep without shepherds. And the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't look at their harassment. He doesn't look at their helplessness. He doesn't look at their shepherdlessness and say, listen, you guys have some sort of external problem. Get some more education. Work a little bit harder. Make a little bit more money. Start doing a little bit more training so you can just better yourself. He doesn't do that. Jesus looks at them and understands that their harassment and their helplessness was actually a bigger problem. He saw the problem behind the problem. He didn't just come to them calling them to just change their external situation. He doesn't rant, blaming the crowd for their foolish decisions. He knew the desperate condition of those to whom he ministered. Their harassment and their helplessness, it wasn't the result of poor external conditions. It was simply this. It was the result of sin. It was the result of sin. These were people who were separated from God and who would one day stand before God in their sin, receiving the full punishment for their sin if nothing changed. And so when Jesus lifted his eyes and he was walking through the world with a people alertness, he wasn't bumping into people and blaming them. He was bumping into people and looking into them and through them and recognizing they are living as those who genuinely have no hope. They're helpless. They're hopeless. They're harassed. Sin is having its way with them. They are genuinely broken and separated from God. And he understood this, that if they died apart from seeing him for who he really is, they'd be eternally separated from God forever. You zip over and scroll back a couple of verses into Matthew chapter 9. 
verse 11. Jesus is going around and he's teaching some more and some Pharisees are witnessing what's going on. And they don't like what Jesus is doing. And so some of the Pharisees, those are the religious teachers of the day, what they do is they come up to some of Jesus' disciples and they pose this question to the disciples there in verse 11, asking, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Translation, why is your teacher, why is Jesus hanging out with these harassed and these, and these helpless? The dregs of society, the sinners, the no goods, the losers, the broken, the poor, the needy. Like, why is he taking time to hang out with those people? Like, real religious people don't, don't hang out with those kind of people. And you roll into verse 12, it says that Jesus heard them ask this question and notice his response. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, they are the ones who need a physician. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Notice what Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus had a grasp on the true condition of those people he was interacting with. The people around him, he knew that they were not righteous in and of themselves because they were sick with sin. And sin-sick sinners need to be saved. They need a great physician. Someone who can come and ransom their souls, redeem them reconcile them back to the Father. And so as Jesus is looking around, he's seeing them for what they really are. And because Jesus sees the crowd, and because Jesus sees them for who they really are as sinners, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, this is why Jesus has compassion for them. This is why Jesus has compassion for them. That word compassion, it's a, it's a funny word in the original language. It's a word that is pronounced like this, splunkna. And it's the word for the stomach. So when it says there that Jesus had compassion for them, the idea was he was so moved in his gut that it was like his gut was being wrenched over the heartbrokenness of looking out at the people and seeing these people are sinners and they need, they need to be reconciled to God. For us, we might put it this way, that we're stirred in our heart he looked out at people and he simply saw this. I see their true condition and their true condition of separation from God. It is so affecting me. It's like I'm being wrenched and moved in my very soul. Seeing the people far from God and understanding their true condition apart from God, it resulted in a broken heart filled with compassion. So at the heart of making disciples is a broken-hearted compassion that realizes the gravity of eternity. It's a burden of the heart for those who are eternally lost because their sin has separated them from God. This is how Jesus lived his life as he interacted with people around him. Because he had a grasp on their true condition, he had a heart for the lost. So as we read verse 36, it begs the question, do we see the world with the eyes of Jesus? Do we go around seeing the crowd as Jesus saw the crowd? 
Do we go around seeing their true condition as Jesus saw their true condition? Do we go around as a result of seeing the crowd and seeing their true condition, having a heart that is stirred with compassion for the lost, recognizing like eternity is for a really long time? And if they go and meet God as they have died, having not been reconciled to the Father, they will be eternally separated from the Father. Verse 36 begs the question, in the busyness of our lives, do we see the crowds around us, let alone have a heart burden for them? See, so often our compassion for people is defective because we just simply fail to remember their true condition. We go around walking and living out our days and we just simply fail to remember that coworker of yours who doesn't know Jesus. That if they were to die, they would stand before God and they would not have somebody as their mediator. That neighbor of yours who doesn't know Jesus, if they were to die and stand before God, they couldn't say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In that moment, they would stand there and go, well, I think I've done some good things, and hopefully my good have outweighed my bad, and that is the works of men, and works righteousness fails to ransom us and make us right with God. See, our compassion so often is defective because we fail to remember their true condition. We fail to remember that sin separates us from God, and we fail to remember that eternity is a really long time. And since we fail to remember these things, our compassion for the lost grows cold, and we lose a sense of urgency. So if we find ourselves in this situation, what can we do? Like, the honest confession is sometimes, like, this is more true of me than I care to admit. As I talk with the lady behind the counter serving me my coffee, as I go to Hy-Vee or if I go to Aldi or I'm just going around and running my errands and I'm bumping into people, what's not on the forefront of my mind is this is a person that needs to hear Jesus. And because that's not on the forefront of my mind, I don't live with a sense of urgency and oftentimes my heart begins to grow cold and sort of apathetic, sort of doing this like, I, I just don't know that I really care all that much. And if we find ourselves in that place where we're just sort of shrugging our shoulders and lifting our hands and going like, man, like, I don't even see the crowds. And if I do sort of see people around me, like, I just sort of really don't care. I don't have compassion for them because, like, I just don't really take the time to care about their harassment or their helplessness or to see that sin is their true condition. So, like, if we find ourselves in that place, like, what do we do? And the good news is that it's not a for, like, you don't have to live there forever. Like, if you're there in that place, it's a place to repent of. It's a place to ask God to move us away from. And the thing is, like, we can see God do that in our lives. And that's what Jesus rolls into next as we go from verse 36 down into verse 37. If we find ourselves in this sort of apathetic situation where we just don't know that we really care all that much, and we don't really have compassion for the lost, where is hope in seeing our hearts rekindled with a burden for the lost? Jesus says the answer to a cold heart being rekindled for, with a burden for the lost is actually found in prayer of all things. Prayer. Some of us have been walking with Jesus for a while, and the more I walk with Jesus, I'm starting to understand this. The one thing that I often don't want to hear is often the one thing that's the answer. 
which is this, pray. Right? Isn't that the answer to so, to so much of the Christian life? It's like, no, 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 man, there's got to be more. Tell me something else. There's got to be a checklist. There's got to be some dues. There's got to be some sort of formula. And it's like, no, man, oftentimes it's when we begin to pray, prayer is us talking with our God and saying, God, I need you to align my heart to what I know to be true. And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do as we roll into verse 37. So on one hand, we see that the heart of making disciples is a heart that is broken for those far from God. But we also see this, that at the heart of making disciples is a heart that prays for God to advance his mission. It's a heart that prays for God to advance his mission. Look at what we see starting in verse 37. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that the compassion of Jesus issues in a call to pray. So in a change of imagery, Jesus moves from the farmyard to the field. He goes from sheep without a shepherd to this idea of harvesting things that have been planted. And the aim of doing this is to awaken compassion in the heart of his disciples. So in light of the abundant harvest of people who are separated from God, Jesus beckons us to pray earnestly. We're to see two realities. Not only is the harvest plentiful, but simultaneously as the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So cutting through this imagery... Jesus is simply saying this, there is a large number of people out there waiting to hear the good news of the kingdom. There are fields of people ready and waiting to be harvested, and they are urgently in need of workers to go and proclaim the good news to them. But notice that Jesus doesn't go like, listen, the harvest is out there, now go get at it. He says the harvest is plentiful, now go pray. It's the preparatory command before the actual command of going. That's interesting. You think Jesus would be like, listen, man, it's, it's urgent here. Wake up, the harvest is plentiful, the laters are a few. Why are you still sitting here? Go. He doesn't say that. He says, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Now bend your knee and first pray. Ask God to prepare your heart before you go. Ask God to do a work in you before you go. Ask God to give you a heart burden for those people that you are about to go to and interact with and live around and work with. See, Jesus is going to eventually get to the go part, but first his followers must be on their knees asking and pleading with God to send out workers. So listen, the point just comes down to this. A necessary part of making disciples is praying for God to align our heart with his mission. It's praying, saying, God, I see the reality of what you're saying. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So God, give me a heart burdened to go out and execute your mission. Now what this doesn't mean is that we should do nothing but pray, but it does mean we should do nothing without praying. See the difference there? So what Jesus isn't saying is like, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Now, the only thing I want you to do is just sit back and pray, and hopefully someone else will take care of this. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. 
you're going to go out there and you're going to be called to go and do this, but before you go and do this, don't do that without first giving yourselves over to prayer. Listen, the call is for earnest prayer, knowing that as we pray this prayer, we will be the answer to our own prayer. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's calling them to stir their own hearts with compassion for the lost by saying, pray for the lost. Recognizing that when we bend our knees and humble our hearts before God and saying, I see the crowds around me, I see their true condition, God, I need you to stir my heart with a burden for the lost around me. God, send out laborers into the field. What God is not going to do is go, it's a great prayer, man, don't do anything else but pray, and hopefully someone else will take care of it. The idea is that as we are bending our heart and bending our knees, praying and asking God, God, send out labors, God, send out labors, God, send out labors, God is going to bend over and whisper in your ear and go, bro, you're the laborer. Like you're the answer to your own prayer. Praying in this way is Jesus' way of getting us to humble ourselves before God so that as we pray for the lost, God will begin to burden our hearts for those people that he's about ready to send us to. See, God loves to answer prayers like this. And when we pray in this way, not only will God begin to burden our hearts for the lost, but he will then begin to send us out in different ways to different places. So for some of us, as we begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, some of us are going to be dispatched by King Jesus to go out into our workplaces with a renewed sense of compassion for our co-workers. For others of this, this will mean that we go back into our neighborhoods looking for opportunities to invest in our neighbors for the sake of their souls. For some of us, this means that when we pray to the Lord the harvest, to send out labors into this harvest, that God is going to come and he's going to call you to the nations so that you can go and spread the good news of Christ's kingdom to people who cannot name the, ki- the name of Jesus because they just simply have never, ever heard. See, in the end, I think we're just meant to make this simple connection that as we pray, our hearts will be, comp- will be kindled with compassion for the lost, and compassion for the lost will lead us to pray. So that as we pray for our hearts to be com- kindled with compassion for the lost, compassion for the lost will lead us to pray. And then it becomes this sort of self-feeding machine where I'm walking day in and day out going, God, my heart's growing cold. I need you to give me a burden for the lost. Help me to have compassion for these people. And then the compassion will lead us to pray, oh God, this is bigger than me. I need some help here. I need you to do work. I need your authority to show up in me, using me as a means to bring the gospel to people. And as we do that, we're going to start seeing people differently our hearts will begin to be burdened and then we'll begin to pray and as we pray our hearts will be burdened and as our hearts are burdened we'll begin to pray and it just becomes this beautiful gospel cycle as God uses us and matures us and sends us out filled by his spirit so that we can be disciples who go out then seeing disciples made because we're just simple people filled with the spirit of God seeing extraordinary works of God coming through us That's God's plan for you and me as missionaries in this world. So as we think about how we can obey these words of Jesus this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to get super practical 
when we're actually going to practice what we've just been talking about. Coming in this morning, you guys should have gotten a little square piece of white paper, and I want you guys to go ahead and grab those things and pull those out right now. If you didn't get one of those little square pieces of paper, Mr. Dan Bernthal, where's, where's he at there? Mr. Dan has got some of those white pieces of paper. If you don't have one, can someone just hold up one of those there, there for me? Okay, right? If you don't have that little piece of paper, stick your hand up in the air, and then D Dan can bring it to you and get you guys some of those pieces of paper. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do something that's just a little bit different and a little bit unique from what we normally do. But what we're going to do is we're going to take the time this morning so we can pray in two very specific ways in light of what we have just heard from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. So before we do that, though, what I want to do is say something to you if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Like right now, what we're about ready to do is we're about ready to take the, at face value, verse 38, this idea of praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not a, a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're more of a skeptic or you're a doubter or you've got questions. And so your response time right now isn't to just sit around and do nothing. But your response time isn't to look at verse 38 and go like, I'm supposed to be the one praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's not the prayer you need to be praying, but the prayer that you need to actually be praying is found back in those verses we read in verses 12 and 13. Maybe this morning what God is doing in you is awaking you to see, like, listen, I am the one who is really sick with sin. Like, I am the one who is harassed and helpless. When I look into the face of the crowds, I see me. I'm the one who is like a sheep without a shepherd because sin has its hold on my heart. I'm the one who's been separated from God. And so the idea here in this moment isn't, God, I'm praying to you to send out laborers into the harvest. But right now it's to pray, God, I need your compassion. God, I need you to save me. I need you to have compassion on my soul. Help me to see what it looks like to turn from my sin, but not only turn from my sin, but place my trust in the work of Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone as my only hope of salvation, so that I will no longer be one who is sick with sin, but I'll be one who has been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. So here in a few moments, when it comes time for prayer, that is your response this morning as someone who's trying to figure this Jesus thing out. But if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, then we're going to pray, like I said, in two very specific ways. We're going to pray for compassion to the lost, compassion for the lost people in our lives, and then we're going to actually pray for the lost people in our lives. If you remember, back at the beginning of the year, we said that this year... The emphasis we believe God has called us to do is to have this emphasis that we use this phrase for this to be a year of making disciples. And the language that we're going to use in front of you is this language here, this idea of invite, this idea of pray, and then to follow it up with a question, who's your for? Talking and asking you, like, who are those four people that God is burdening your heart for? How are you praying for them? How are you praying for God to use you in their lives? What are you doing so that you can invite them to come to community group, invite them to come to church, invite them to come and know Jesus? 
But one of the things that we must do this year, if this is truly going to be a year of making disciples, is follow in the pattern that we have here in Matthew chapter 9, like, right? So what I hope you don't hear me saying is, listen, this is a year that we're going to be making disciples. Now go get out there. Go find people. Go do stuff. Go talk. Go share. Go, go invest. Pull, pull them in a community group. Talk to them. We want you doing that, but the first necessary step is we must pray first. We must pray first. Because that's what Jesus tells us to do here in Matthew chapter 9. Listen, I want you to go. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. But you need to pray first. Lord, send me out as a laborer into, into the fields, into the harvest. So if you pull out that piece of paper, what you should have is one side that's got the numbers 1 through 4. And then the back side is going to be blank. So on the back side of the paper, what I want you to do is write this phrase. Pray for compassion. Pray for compassion. Right, maybe this morning as you were hearing and looking at Jesus in verse 36, when Jesus says he saw the crowds, he knew they were harassed, he knew they were helpless, they were sheep without a shepherd, this stirred compassion in his heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you need help in seeing the lost people around you. Maybe you're just like, you're, you're, you're poor. Your confession this morning is this, like, I go around and the world around me, like, I just don't see other people. Like, I just sort of assume people exist to serve me. Like, I don't see it the other way around where God has called me to go and serve others. Like, I just don't see people in that way. So maybe you need help seeing the lost people in your world. Or maybe you need God to help you see the true condition of the people in the world. So, like, you're very good at going around and interacting and noticing people, that sort of thing, but you just sort of operate on the surface level to where it's like, yeah, it's Joe, he's my buddy, or that's, that's Emily, and, like, I know her, and, and we go to work, or that's my neighbor, that sort of thing. But, like, as you operate and share life and talk across the fence with your neighbor, or you're standing at the coffee pot just chatting about the weekend with your coworker, like you just never actually have that sort of Jesus-like lens to where the whole time you're talking to that person, it's, you just never see the true condition of their soul. And because you don't see the true condition of their soul, it just never prompts you to have a sense of urgency of like, listen, I want to know about you. I genuinely love you. I care for your soul, but I care for your soul enough to actually want to show and share Jesus with you. Maybe like that's the level where you're at. You see them, but it's like, I need help. God, help me to see their true condition. Or maybe you're just here this morning and you're like, listen, man, I see people around me. I genuinely understand up here mentally, I have a, a mental category for people being lost, sin separating them from God, that if they die in this state, they will be forever separated from God in hell, but I just really don't care. Like, I'm just genuinely apathetic. Like, I just, I know people, and I know their eternal condition, and I just don't really care. And so maybe this morning your response is, God, I need you to squash this heart of apathy in me because I just genuinely don't care. So on that back side of your piece of paper where there's a number one, I want you to write this, pray for compassion, and then I want you to fill in this blank. God, help me fill in the blank. God, help me to see people. God, help me to understand their true condition. God, help me to not be apathetic. So that's one thing that we're going to do this morning. Pray for compassion, and you're going to ask God to help you. God, help me out with one of these things. It might be one, it might be two, it might be all three. 
God help me have a heart for compassion. Then on the other side, when you turn that over, the one you should have there is a couple of numbers, one, two, three, and four, I believe. And then what we're going to do on that side, I want you to write down this phrase, pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. So for this one, we're going to pray for the Lord to send us out as laborers into his harvest, but specifically, we're going to pray for the Lord to send us to specific people in our lives. So for this prayer, what I want you to do is think about this question. Who in your world is harassed and helpless because of sin? Who in your world is harassed and helpless because of sin? Like, who's your neighbor? Who's your coworker? Who's your family? Who's your friend? Maybe who's the sibling? If you're a parent, who's your child? And so the point is, like, right now you're asking, like, God, I need you to help me. Like, who, who are you burdening my heart for right now? And the idea is that you're going to write these names down right now on this piece of paper. Because this is going to be practice for next week. Next week, we're going to do something very different. We're going to become very practical. I'm actually going to pull out the whiteboard, and we're going to take Sunday morning to walk through. Here is a tool for how you can practically, simply share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to re-ask you to come back and say, hey, remember today? Remember this morning? Remember the people that you were praying for and writing down? We're going to give you another sheet of paper. We're going to have you write those names down on a piece of paper. And then we're going to have you come up here and lay them in a basket in the foot of the cross. Because this year, if it's going to be a year of making disciples, we want you understanding that it is your call to go and pray for these people that God has placed in your world. Saying, God, I need you to use me to bring Jesus to them. Easter's coming up. God, help me find a way to invite them to come and know Jesus and invite them to come to Easter on Sunday. God, help me as we roll out of Easter to see how I can share and show Jesus with them. But before all those things can happen and those kinds of events and doings, we must first lace it full with prayer. And that's what we're going to do today, and that's what we're going to do next week, okay? So right now, you should have one side of a piece of paper. It says, pray for compassion. God, help me fill in the blank. On the other side, you should have a piece of paper that has this phrase, pray for the lost. And my hope is that you've written down four names at least. There can be more people. Four people where you look around your world and go like, I just know this. This person needs to know Jesus. And God has placed me in their life for a specific reason. And we're going to pray for these two things right now that God would burden our hearts with compassion for the lost, specifically that he would send us to those people that he has just laid on your heart. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we'll be done this morning, okay? So as I pray right now and I lead us in prayer, don't just sit there and be passive in this. I want you to join me. Be active in prayer right now as we pray for compassion for our own hearts and pray for the hearts of the lost, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray that you would burden our hearts with a genuine compassion for the lost. God, maybe some of us need help with actually just seeing the lost people in our world. We're so consumed and so busy doing me that we live our lives without a people alertness, just sort of drifting in and out of people's lives, never just stopping, realizing, I just had an encounter with another living soul. 
Maybe for some of us, God, that we need help with seeing the true condition of the spiritual condition of the people in our world. Or perhaps we're just here and we see both of those things that we just genuinely have a heart of apathy. God, I pray that you would break our stony hearts and help us to see the world around us, understanding that we have been sent by King Jesus on a mission to go and take the good news of eternal life to those who need to know the good news of eternal life found in Jesus Christ alone. God, help us. Give us hearts that are burdened for those who are far from God. And God, for that list of people we've just written down, God, this is a prayer for the lost, God. We need you to not just burden our hearts for the lost, but to actually see how they can be burdened for specific people in our lives. Understanding that when we pray, God, send us out as labors into the harvest, we are our own answer to that prayer. God, give us eyes to see who are harassed and helpless around us. And God, I pray that right now we would specifically lift them up in name to you. God, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that feel. Help us to understand the true condition of people we genuinely love so that we can be used as an instrument of redemption in your hands. God, we love you and we thank you. My prayer is that you would use this Sunday as the day where you begin to shift the culture of our church, moving us to the place where our church is marked by a culture of we love lost people. We pray for lost people. We want broken people in our midst because we ourselves are broken. We ourselves are in need of the gospel. We ourselves are in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. So we want people like us to come into us. We want to go out to those who are around us so that we can share and show the grace that we have received from Christ himself. God, may this be the day where you turn the tide in the culture of our church for your name's sake and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.